This is the Unsuitable Podcast. I'm Mary B. Saferit, a communicator, creator, and coach passionate about filling the gap between what the church offers and what single Christians need. Each episode this season, we're going to explore what it looks like to form deep relationships as people who aren't married. Welcome to the wrap-up. This is the last episode of the season in which I answer the question of the season and synthesize insights from the interviews to help you process and contextualize what you've heard. Before we dive in, let me tell you a bit about this week's partner. As singles, sometimes it's easy to feel like the red-headed stepchildren of the church, which is exactly why I've partnered with Rise of the Gingers to help sponsor this episode of Unsuitable. Rise of the Gingers is a t-shirt and accessory company made just for the 2%, the wrongfully alleged as soulless and often freckle-engulfed ginger folks out there. If you're a ginger or know a ginger, head to riseofthegingers.com. Don't forget, this can also make the perfect gift. Use code UNSUITABLE10 for 10% off your order at riseofthegingers.com. Rise of the Gingers is created by gingers for gingers. You will not find better redhead swag anywhere else. Again, use code UNSUITABLE10 for 10% off your entire purchase. All right, here's the wrap up. Sage and Amanda crept into the small room filled with bunk beds where I was reading. It was election day, or at least the day we could go to the U.S. Embassy and Managua and vote. Hey, Mary B., Amanda said. Don't freak out, but we just checked, and we both have lice. What? I replied, my brain sluggishly processing the reality of the words. Lice, she repeated. So we need to check you and figure out where to get shampoo and combs. It was month three of our 11-month mission trip. The trip took us to 11 countries in 11 months, where we would partner with local churches and organizations and do whatever they needed. In my preparation and research, I learned that many teams get lice at some point. In order to minimize this possibility, I walked into my salon and asked Jim to chop off my hair. Ever the preemptive problem solver, I decided that several inches of hair were a small price to pay for a lice-free 11 months. I got lice anyway. Our team of five made it two whole months lice-free. We went to a pharmacy and bought combs and shampoo. We followed the instructions. Wet your hair, massage the shampoo into your hair, let sit for 10 minutes, then rinse. And then we set to combing. Each head of hair presented different challenges. Sage's hair was thick and wavy. My hair was the same color as the lice eggs. Abby's hair was too fine for the combs to work properly. It was meticulous work, as it would only take a few errant lice eggs to make all our efforts fruitless. It was a vulnerable position to be in, I realized as I sat picking and being picked. None of us could de-louse ourselves. We were entirely at the mercy of the precision of the teammate combing and searching our hair. 
My steadfast independence was ripped from my hands by a tiny bug with an impossibly high rate of spawning. After our initial lice party, we realized how woefully unprepared we were to address our problem. A week later, we checked each other again, only to find a thriving colony in most of our tresses. That's when we went into purge mode. Though we lacked a dryer, we had the Nicaraguan sun. We sealed most of our clothes, pillows, sleeping bag liners, and towels into black garbage bags and left them in the sun for an entire day. We did not have access to lice shampoo, but we did have mayonnaise. After washing our hair, we slathered it with mayonnaise, thinking the lice and their unborn would suffocate, put grocery bags over our hair, and slept on it. The next day, we ditched the combs and went straight to using our fingernails. Those sneaky a-holes didn't know who they were dealing with. Our actions thinned out the lice population, but one teammate in particular seemed to have caught a particularly pernicious strain of lice. While most of us had lice off and on for the next couple of months, hers were demonic. They traveled with us to the Philippines the next month, where we couldn't break the language barrier enough to find shampoo. We found mayonnaise, only to realize upon slathering it onto the positive cases' heads that it contained relish. Another de-lousing train later, most of the team was once again lice-free, except for the one with demon lice. Those jerks defied any collective wisdom we'd heard about the fiends up to that point. After three months of periodic positive lice checks, we elevated our game to Olympic level. We were in Thailand at this point, in the city of Chiang Mai, where we had access to everything we'd missed in the past two months. The teammate in question woke early to use the lice shampoo. She washed the medicated shampoo out of her hair, and our teammate, who was a hairstylist in real life, professionally dried and straightened her hair. We then took shifts over the course of the next 14 hours, picking each and every louse and egg out of her hair. One teammate was in charge of entertainment and meal breaks. Slowly, bug by bug, we searched and picked and went back through and picked some more. The heat of the hair dryer and flat iron had mercifully killed the eggs, but they still needed to be pulled from their vice-like grip on their respective strands of hair. After that, we were lice-free but cautious. Our lice checks became routine. We knew the hotspots to check first and were free to suggest and request an inspection. The rhythm became routine, taking a seat, letting a teammate tilt my head this way, then the other, leaning close and picking a bit of lint, inspecting it under her headlamp just to be sure it didn't have legs. Once a week, then once a month, and then when we separated, not at all. I told this story to the senior pastor of my church the first and thus far only time we had coffee. Why? The world may never know. I regaled him with the makeshift dryer substitute situation, the moment we realized the mayonnaise we bought had relish, and then the final marathon. I paused, then said that if I got lice today, I didn't know who I would call to pick it out of my hair. Maybe, like me, you prefer to solve as many problems on your own as you can. And maybe, like me, you aren't sure who you might call when you come up against something you simply can't do yourself. It's hard to let ourselves be seen in our need. 
it's vulnerable to reach out knowing we have no control over how the person might respond. It takes time and breadcrumbs of trust and big and small moments of shared experience to develop safe relationships. Commitment was a theme that kept coming up in the interviews this season. Peter talked about how integral commitment was for his sense of safety in relationships. He talked about how he got to a point where his heart could no longer handle investing in people who were continually ripped away. Sarah May talked about how powerful it was when her friend reminded her that she wasn't going anywhere, that she was committed to the relationship. Bridget described the impact her platonic partnership has had on her ability to take chances and invest in her life and calling. In the story I shared about the lice, there was also an established commitment. While none of us knew how long we'd be in each other's lives or on the same team, we were thrown into situations that required us to go deep quickly. We had team time every night where we offered each other encouragement and feedback. Some months were better than others, but we had to learn how to be for and with each other. From lice to sickness to six of us sharing one room, we could either find a way to make it work or be miserable. Part of commitment comes from building a foundation. In non-extreme circumstances, that foundation is built in everyday acts of commitment, like listening to a friend nerd out about something you don't understand, or meeting regularly for coffee to learn about each other. It takes time. Because my teammates and I were around each other almost literally 24-7, we learned each other's habits and idiosyncrasies and stories more quickly than I've found to be the case in what one might call normal life. But I think it's also important to consider, as we're talking about commitment, what exactly holds our friendships together, as Sarah talked about. One of the things I've found in friendships is that we can't control the other person. It's a good thing, to be sure, but I must admit that I prefer to get what I want, and especially without having to ask for it. I want there to be a guarantee that my investment of time and emotional energy in a particular person will be worth it. Whether it's a new dating relationship or a friendship, I want assurances that things will be mutual, that the other person will reciprocate my feelings, that they'll think I'm funny and smart. There are red flags we can look for, but ultimately, there doesn't seem to be a surefire way to guarantee things will work out exactly as I want them or think they should work out. I liked how honest Chinbo was about taking a step back and letting herself consider which relationships are life-giving. When it comes to building safe, committed relationships, it's important to consider the mutuality of those relationships. Is there equal investment of time and emotional energy? Is there give and take from both parties? Is trust reciprocated? Does each party feel they can be as they are in the relationship? Or does one person feel like they have to act put together all the time? Answering no to these questions might mean it's time to have a conversation with the other person, or that it's time to seek counsel about the health of that relationship. We've all been wounded by each other, and we've been the ones to wound. And yet, we also have the potential to help each other heal. I think that one of the great gifts of being made in the image of God is the fact that we were made for relationships. 
not just one kind of relationship with one kind of person, but authentic relationships of depth where both parties feel seen and known. Devon talked about the power of being part of a community with people who are different from you and how much we can learn from each other. Whether you need someone to pick lice out of your hair or help moving a couch or to simply be with you after receiving bad news, the weird and wonderful thing about being a human person is that we do need each other, not in an enmeshed, codependent way that eradicates our sense of self. It's more like an interdependence that I think we learn over time, not with everyone we meet, but with a few people who come across our path or we, who we seek out. Loneliness has reached epidemic proportions in the States and probably elsewhere. And yet so many feel ill-equipped to build healthy, mutually beneficial friendships. I hope that the interviews this season have encouraged and empowered you to go for it. I don't know your exact situation, but I do know how safe it can feel to hide behind self-sufficiency. I know how scary it is to reach out. I know how insecure and needy it can feel to make even a simple request. If anything from this episode or season sticks with you, I hope it is the universality of our need for safe connection. You feel it. I feel it. And if someone you reach out to doesn't, well, maybe they probably aren't super self-aware. I hope you feel even a small sense of companionship with me and this season's guests as we all learn how to cultivate relationships of depth as people who aren't married. If you're struggling to build deep connections with people in your life or you feel isolated and alone, consider letting yourself be honest about that with yourself and with God. Then don't keep it to yourself. If you don't have a trusted friend you feel comfortable talking to, maybe it's time you look for a counselor or reach out to someone in pastoral care at your church, or find a support group in your area or online. Or you could reach out to me. My DMs are open on Instagram at maryb.safrit. I also offer one-on-one relationship coaching and would love to help you cultivate deep, life-giving relationships or work through particular areas of relational conflict in your life. To schedule a free 15-minute intro call, head to marybesafer.com backslash coaching. That's all for season six. Thanks for listening. To stay up to date and get a weekly message from me designed to encourage and equip single Christians in their mental health relationships and callings, go to marybesafer.com and sign up for my newsletter. Thanks to Rise of the Gingers for partnering on today's episode. Just as a heads up, I'm an affiliate of Rise of the Gingers, which means I get a wee percentage of each sale at no cost to you. This season of Unsuitable with Mary B. Saferit is produced by me, Mary B. Saferit. Sound engineering is by Bijoy Ahmed, and the theme music is by Chad Rollinson. That's all for now. Catch y'all on the flippity flop. Flop.